gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe here in this great hall of justice. Superheroes have to be around other superheroes. You know what I mean? That's the Hall of Justice is more about them just commiserating about their powers and less about them like actually fighting crime. Seth Everett is the best there is at what he does, bub. And what he does is the Hall of Justice podcast. Go, go, go with a smile. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Hall of Justice. I'm Seth Everett. And, you know, we've been talking a lot about television and films, comic books. And today we are going to do all of that. Uh, There is a hot new show on Netflix right now uh, called Jupiter's Legacy. It's like one of the top 10 shows on Netflix right now. It's fantastic. And it is part of this Netflix deal with Mark Miller has with the company. Mark Miller, the amazing comic book creator uh, in his own right. And yes, if you look at his name, it sounds like Millar, but it's Miller. Mark Miller. Jupiter's Legacy is based on an original book by Mark Miller and Frank Quitely. And they turned it into an eight episode series that is fantastic. And I'm not saying that because of our guest today, because he was agreeing to come on the podcast. He didn't know how I felt about Jupiter's legacy, but it's effing great. That's that's the bottom line is it's great. Uh, Our guest today has been a wrestler. He's been an actor for more than 20 years. And he was Sabretooth in the first X-Men movie. He's also Black Star in Jupiter's Legacy. And we're going to talk about that series, his career, all of the things that uh, we've been talking about here on the Hall of Justice. So let's give a warm welcome to the great Tyler Maine. Tyler, it's an honor, sir. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. First of all, uh, the reaction, at least on social media and even the mainstream media to Jupiter's legacy has been nothing but positive, at least from what I've read. Uh, What's been the reaction from you and how rewarding is it to see the finished product? Yeah, yeah. I mean, just being able to see that finished project product was uh, fantastic. You know, I was there for four of the eight episodes and um, filming was pretty contained from my role because I was in so much prosthetics and, and uh, I was kept away from everyone. And it would take four hours, sometimes three, four hours for me to get ready to get on set. So, you know, uh, I would fly in and do my scenes and uh, it was just fantastic to be a part of all that. It was such an epic production. And then when I got to see the whole finished product, you know, with all the CGA that they were putting in and, and everything was just amazing. It's cinematic. It, it, it really is cinematic and, and epic. Um, I kind of wanted to do this in two, two ways. I wanted to talk about the production because the production, I'm so curious. But also, you've seen the show now, and I thought we could also review the show and get into some of the things that were just fantastic, not just the Black Star parts, but um, 
I wanted to open this up because the audience who listens to this podcast knows I don't do anything in chronological order. So rather than ask the generic boring question about the prosthetics, all I want to know is, are those really your feet? <laughs> in, in, in there, there were really my feet. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you want to talk about attention to detail, man. And I'm not, you know, I'm not like a fetish guy or anything, but wow. I was like, what in the world was that? Those prosthetics were, was any of it digital or was it all real and on you? That was all real and on me, man. Those were the biggest size 15s I've ever worn. <laughs> and and uh, it, the detail was just crazy. You know, I mean, I could even wiggle my big toe. It really? was, it was amazing. You know, I'd, I'd worn prosthetics before in the past, but it was never this interactive. Mm. You know, when and I got all eight pieces put on my face. I could wink, I could smirk, I could smile. Like it was, it was Different. amazing. When I had it finally put on and the touch up airbrush, I was like, wow, that is Black Star, you know? Uh, it's, it's, it's wild. Is, is the red artificial, like the anti-matter, anti-matter, the anti-matter heart, uh, is that on you or is that, added after no it was on me it was they they had wow. to keep changing out the batteries <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that thing take nine volts <laughs> i think it had you know it had a couple of different batteries that they switched out every every other take or so you know but it was uh you know that and then sometimes we'd film something forget to turn it on and then we'd have to reshoot but yeah, uh yeah. but it was a, it was a great reference point for what they were what they ended up doing in the long run with the CGI with it. Well, and, and spoilers, um, you, you're also a clone of Black Star, uh, and they had you get it all decked out, and there's this crazy death scene. And then there's a lot of looking at the corpse of that clone <laughs> with, with the face chewed out of it, and is that based on your prosthetics? Like, did they take your prosthetics and put it on a on a mannequin of some sort? Because that was hysterical. And I'm thinking, there's his goddamn feet again. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it was it was just it was the suit, and then they had my whole sculpted face, and then wow. they crushed it and tore it apart yeah. and, and and everything. So it was, you know, every day in the the, the makeup trail when I was getting ready. I'd look over and I'd see that crust thing and I'd go, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's like seeing your own demise. Yeah, right? <laughs> I, I, can't, I, I couldn't even uh, imagine. Um, given how this is a modern superhero show, and I want to ask you a, a lot about X-Men later, but when you see the evolution between how these things are made, you're the perfect example because you were there for the X-Men production in 2000 when superhero films were in its uh, novice era, I call it. You know, they, they, they didn't know what to make of them. There had been Superman and Batman, but there wasn't anything else like it. And now you're in this and, I mean, there's going to be comparisons. Jupiter's legacy is already being compared to the boys, for example or the Umbrella Academy. Like there's there's a dozen of these things and they're all really highly produced elements. What What's the biggest thing that stands out between being on the Jupiter's Legacy set versus 2000? 
Well, just how much it's evolved, you know, the, the technology has evolved immensely, but, um, you know, people comparing it to the boys or, or to Umbrella Academy and other things. They Is that all, fair? They all stand on their own. You know, they're yeah. very, very different if you watch them. The one thing that I love about Jupiter's legacy is it tells the backstory, how they got their superpowers. And it goes between two different time zones. You know, you're in 1929, 1930, you know, you've got the great depression going on, how the, and the human struggles that they're going through, which set them on their path to find this island to attain these powers and to help change the world. So you're seeing that whole backstory of all of that, how it evolves. And then as it's coming through to modern technology or modern times, you're seeing how the families are struggling and it's the passing of the torch and how Utopian is gonna hand it off to Paragon and, and, and is he ready or is he not? And, and being a father, I mean, I can totally relate to that stuff. Yeah. Your whole job is to get your kids ready for the world. Of course, we're not dealing with superpowers and things like that, you know, oh, but for yourself. you're, you're yeah. dealing, you're trying to raise your kids right, right? Sure. And, um, you know, Utopian is, is living in the past trying to, he's thinking that, you know, morality is just black and white and it's, it, it's, it's subjective, not objective. You know, he's, he's got these code that you can't kill. You can't, you know, do this and that. And, and that's the pigeonhole that you have uh, a superhero put in. And, and that's why I love the villains because, you know, we get to kind of set our own guidelines and uh, my whole role in Jupiter's legacy is to test him on his code. Right. And, and the code plays a massive role in this and it's, you know, you could see exactly what Mark Millard did uh, for this because he comes from the DC Marvel world where Superman had that code. And there have been so many things written, articles, essays, uh, even books uh, about Superman being outdated, that Superman is the Boy Scout and that he was unrelatable. That's why Batman was so popular and things like that. And in this, you know, Utopian goes through that personal dilemma. And what you can tell is, is that the source material was brought up in the DC Marvel world because he's going through out loud what I think Superman fans internalized for decades. Yeah, I mean, it, look, at we all face these struggles and, and this is dealing with that. And that's what makes... It's so relatable to people because we're all dealing with situations like this from our past or, or our upbringing, whatever. Right. Um, like for me, like one of the reasons why I wanted to get into th this field was I was a tall, skinny kid with glasses and braces growing up in Saskatchewan, slightly dyslexic, picked on. I was uh -huh. like, I want to do something with myself. So, so, you know, you can relate to, to that. And it's the same thing with any of the mutants from the X-Men world. They're sure. picked on, pushed to the limits to have to either defend themselves or try to make a difference. I have to ask, just based on your answer, um, they list you as six, nine, who picked on you? 
<laughs> I, I'd like to see the giants that picked on you. <laughs> I can't, I can't even imagine it. <laughs> you know, back, back in the day, like I, I was, when you were younger, before you hit a growth spurt, is that what you're saying? Yeah, I was a tall, skinny kid, you know, so I was yeah. gangling and, and, hmm. you know, in, in Canada growing up, what the, the thing that I feared the most was, you know, they'd go around the room and everybody would have to read a paragraph hmm. of a novel or whatever. Sure. So I'd spend my time trying to track down which paragraph was going to be mine, you know? And inevitably, so some smart ass so would yeah. read two paragraphs or something. So it'd always screw me up. Wow. And I remember I read and I said, uh, Army instead of Amy one time, the whole class laughed. And, wow. and I was like, oh, son of a, you know, so yep, you, feel sure. like, you feel like a. You, like a mouse. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then there was just me and another guy that went into special reading classes. And mm -hmm. it's a good thing we did, you know, because but they didn't really understand dyslexia back then mixing right. things up. So it was, uh, yeah, it was kind of, it was kind of tough that way growing up, but uh, I made it through it. It made me a stronger person and it, and it drove me to be who I am today, you know, and that's, that's the same thing with any kind of these mutants or superheroes or, sure. or, or villains. I, I really appreciate your candor on that. It, it's really interesting to hear you say that because I would imagine for boys, it's very different than for girls. I have daughters and one of them, she's in elementary school, but she goes for extra math help. You know, she leaves the class to go for extra help. But the, the, the caveat to it was her really good friend goes with her. Just coincidence. Yeah. And that makes a huge difference because she doesn't have that isolation feeling because it's her and her buddy and she's, she's happy as a clam. You know what I mean? She can't, she can't wait for that thing. And it's so interesting to hear the difference. And I don't know if it's a boy girl thing or just the existence of that friend. And I hadn't put that characterization until you said it. Yeah. It, you know, it was a, it was a crazy thing. And it, it, a lot of it was probably in my own head because mm -hmm. we, you know, Maybe. we create our own realities and by doing that, um, I kind of became an introvert into, you know, and, and to go on to the, the, the next step is um, I would live for Saturday mornings, you know, because Stampede Wrestling had come on and I would okay. watch wrestling. Yeah. And then I'd start reading my comic books and then I'd watch, you know, the, the cartoons. And then I'd start watching the action films all weekend long and when it came back to you know monday morning i'd be you know my mom would have to when i was a little little kid you have to put me on the back doorstep and i'd sit there for about 10 minutes till i hear the damn bell ring and if i'm yeah. going to be late i'm you know it's i'm which end are you going to get the whooping on type yeah. of thing? <laughs> you know? so i would run as quick as i could well to get said. to school at the very last second and it, i mean it was it, it was it, it was crazy for me but so i mean relate to, to, to this superhero stuff. Hey guys, it's Susan Eisenberg. Some of you may recognize my voice from Justice League and Justice League Unlimited, where I voiced Wonder Woman. And I'm here because Seth was gracious enough to let me come and promote my new business. It's called SoapCon Live, and it's a Comic-Con for soap operas. So if you're like me and you're a huge soap opera fan, go to SoapConLive.com. We're going to be featuring virtual free live panels on May 1st with some of your favorite soap stars from 
from General Hospital, As the World Turns, One Life to Live, and The Doctors. So visit our website, SoapConLive.com, to find out how you can watch the panels and order meet and greets, autographs, and video greetings from your favorite soap stars. And stay tuned. With such a massive cast, there's a great characterization, meaning everyone has their own arc. And that's very uh, hard to do. You know, we were talking just recently, DC released this uh, Justice Society, World War II, and we just did a bunch of podcasts on it with the, with the writer. And they were saying how even in a short, and that is only 75 minutes. So they were even more limited to try to get characterization. This is eight episodes. So in essence, you know, it's, it's quadruple what a feature film would be, but that's why these shows are so unique. You know, 15 years ago, Jupiter's legacy would have been made into a movie and it wouldn't have been as good. It couldn't have been as good uh, as this is. And that is the comparison to the umbrella Academy, the boys invincible and all these different things. The, the feature film, you know, you can make the argument for the Mandalorian or, or, the, or the Marvel shows. You can say that the stories are dived into much more uh, grander, much more grander. I, I, I can yeah. use that English. Thing. I get what you're saying. You, 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 much you, grander, yeah. You have that extra time to explore the characters. And, that, and that's the thing with um, the first X-Men, you know, I think it was like 80 minutes or whatever it was. I'm not even right. sure, you know, don't quote me on the exact. That's all right. Time. But you have that short period, you're introducing so many characters that you have to pick who is going to get the screen time, you know? Totally. Totally. And whereas this is in a TV series, you're able to take your time, and explore a lot more and get into depth. And then the characters get to get in to character more and explore their character over the, the eight episodes instead of just that one time frame. Which well, and, the, and the line is getting blurred. I didn't mean to cut you off, but the, the, the line is getting blurred between what a TV and what a movie is. Like there's nothing that's not cinematic. Like my recommendation to anybody, I know Netflix can be found on a phone watch this on as big a screen as you can find because it is it's epic in and grand in detail and so you know compare it to anything you would see in a theater and i'm not anti theaters but that's my biggest concern is that the movie theater industry is not able to compete with stuff like this you can't make jupiter's legacy for a cinema and that's not because of covid i'm vaccinated i'm not afraid to go to a movie theater but what's playing in a theater that's better than what i can see in my house yeah well i mean that's the thing it, it is done like a, a feature you know mm. and it's uh it, it was done very very well right, and really. the thing that i like about it the best is that it, it transitions from the 30s to modern time yes seamlessly and it just gives you just that little bit of information that you need and then you're right back into modern times you get that little bit of information then you're back on the journey you know i mean i'm a i'm a big like history buff and, and stuff like that and and just watching stuff like that i really really enjoy you know like seeing about the dirty 30s seeing about you know and and their their uh journey to the island was magnificent 
Well, and it, it, it's very reminiscent in that it has it does a great job of leaving you wanting more. It's yeah. it, they're building up a story, building up a story, and then they'll take a break from if it's in the past, they'll go to the present and you have to re-associate yourself and get back into the storyline of the present versus you want to know what's going on with the past, especially in six and seven when they're getting closer because you know where they're headed. You know that's how they're getting their powers and you're like, oh my God, it's like a tease, like they're tantalizing you. And that's very reminiscent of Daredevil, which was on Netflix, which was Steve DeKnight. And I wanted to ask you about him because there's a lot of feel. I know that this is based on source material, but this had a really similar feel to uh, the the scope of what Daredevil was, and that was Steve DeKnight. But I understand that he left midway through the production and was replaced by Sang Q Kim. I'm, I hope I'm saying his his name correctly. How much of what did you do all your stuff with Steve or Sang or or vice versa or or whatnot? I did I did half and half because really? I was in the first two episodes and then the last two episodes yep. so um you know and Stephen did direct the the first two episodes it was fantastic to be able to work with him um I think he helped uh shape how the series was going I don't know what happened there yeah. so I can't comment on it because I was already gone you know I'd filmed sure. myself and left um <laughs> But he was very, uh, he, he, he shaped the way it was going. And it was, and, and Mark Miller too, you know, I mean, Mark had said that he was planning on doing it as a feature originally. I'm sure. Yeah. You know, and then he uh, sat down and um, they analyzed it and thought it would be better as a, as a uh, uh, series, which I'm glad they did because had, had they uh, followed the books and done it as a, a, a feature, Blackstar might have ended up like he did in the in the novels. Yeah, you know? yeah. And and that's one of the first things that I did. You know, you read, which, you read the book as soon as you got the role. Yeah, it, it, I find well, that fascinating because actors, there are some actors that run to it, and and Matt Ryan, who played Constantine on uh, Legends of Tomorrow, and he was on that Constantine TV show. He said the first thing I did was I ran to a comic book store. I I am so amazed because that's outside. That's that's doing the extra work to know the context. They're writing lines for you. You don't have to do that, but it's so remarkable when you do. Well, you want you you get more of a backstory and, and you get the understanding of the character and the understanding of of where the graphic novel was trying to go with it. You know, and and they go in two different directions, but the base is there for it. You know, and I'm, I'm kind of lucky, like when it comes to as soon as I saw that it was a, uh, a graphic novel, um, I just talked to my wife, Renee Gearlings, who was the editor in chief of uh, Top Cow comic books before. And she was with Radical and oh, she was wow. Barbie Pop. So <laughs> I said, small uh, world. <laughs> yeah, so I said, hey, Renee, I need to get these comic books. He's, and she was right on it and, and got them in my hands. So I had the uh, I had the research going before I even yeah. got the role you know oh, that's fantastic so that, yeah it, 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 it helps it helps it gives you that little bit of backstory you know but then but then um like i say black star isn't in the graphic novel that much um but then when i saw the script and i saw how they wanted him to evolve i was like oh yeah okay i like this character you know i mean 
playing the supervillain that's, you know, snarky, snide, cocky, intelligent, Love it. you know, and he's got this antimatter heart that he can just blow people up. It's like to be able to play a character like that is a dream come true. You know, that's uh, so great to hear you say, did you do similar research like that for X-Men? Oh, yeah, I did. It man is they, they were wanting uh, Kevin Nash, my old tag team partner. Uh -huh. to do it originally you know and then for some reason it didn't work out and uh the stunt coordinator showed my picture because back then i had the long hair and you know yeah. i kind of looked like a little bit like saber tooth so he showed uh brian singer uh -huh. my headshot and he says oh my god i want to see this guy right and they asked me if i would come in and talk to him so what i did I was still living in California at the time. I ran, ran down to the Valley to a comic book store. And, you know, I'd, I had I seen the, um, the animated. I didn't know much about the comic the, the book. The animated series of the 90s with an all-Canadian cast, by the way. Yeah, well, there you see. There you go. So then I uh, went down and I wanted to do as much research as I could, right? So I go into this store. I said, hey, man, do you got any X-Men comic books? He goes, yeah. <laughs> those four rows. <laughs> yeah. you know? So I'm like, okay, we're going to pinpoint this a little bit more, right? Okay, do you got anything with saber tooth in them? <laughs> yeah, those two rows. <laughs> I'm like, okay, I'm starting to feel like I need to get up to speed on this, right? So I say, okay, can you help me? Can you get me the best ones? Because I'm getting it for my nephew for his birthday. So, oh, you know, why? <laughs> <laughs> So he pulled out all the good ones, right? Yeah. So I was just sitting there doing all my research and 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 stuff. And and um, for my audition, I was like, okay, I'm going to try and look even more like this character. I went down to um, I think it's called Friends. It was the makeup effects in um, Studio City. Okay. And I went in and I got fake teeth. Oh, okay. I went and got polygrip. And I put this is in. for the audition. Or the audition. Oh, this right? is genius. Yeah. So then I, I I put my teeth in. I'm feeling like a real idiot walking in there talking to the secretary. I, I've got a meeting to see Mr. Singer. Can you? So then they showed me into the room, right? And I walk in. And you're and, giant. Uh, you're a child. Guy, oh my God. There's this young guy sitting on the edge of the couch typing on a computer. You know, and I got these teeth in and I'm doing my thing. I go, I'm here to see. Uh, Brian Singer, you know, and this young guy just puts his hand up, doesn't even look up. He just stops me because he's writing on a script or something. Yeah, yeah. Finishes what he's doing, and he looks up and he sees me, and I kind of growl and snarl at him, and he goes, "Oh my God, I'm Brian Singer, and you're Saber Tooth, <laughs> <laughs> right?" That's and so crazy. my audition was literally, I come walking into the room. He's excited about it. He jumps up on this glass table and he says, choke me. That was my audition, right? So I'm doing like a choke slam to him and snarling yeah. at him. And you had done that because you had all those years with wrestling. Yeah, you know, and, and so it was pretty easy to, to, to do that. And he goes, oh my God, you're Sabretooth. And then right after that, I get a call and they're working out contracts. So I was like, hey, here we go. And just, and when that, that happened, that's when I finally hung up my wrestling boots and said, okay, I'm done with wrestling. So...
We'll be back with more of the Hall of Justice, but first, I have to tell you about another podcast I do. And yeah, we talk about it from time to time. But anybody who knows my career knows it's a sports broadcasting career. Yes, I love the Hall of Justice so much. I also started a podcast that is called Sports with Friends. It's a play on words because my mother always played words with friends. And I thought, wouldn't it be neat to see if I have as many friends in the industry that could come on a show and be open and honest and have a friendly chat? So I started the podcast and said every guest is a friend. But then I found out that some of my friends are in PR and they book guests for the show. They've asked me to put people I'm just meeting. So now every guest is a friend or a friend of a friend. We play Jewish geography. Some of the past guests on this show can be really close friends like Dave Softy Mahler or Andrew Siciliano. And some of them are big icons that are also friends. Ken Griffey Jr. thinks he made my career. Martin Brodeur, the best goalie in the history of the NHL. And we also tackle big topics. We'll find out about cord cutting for a sports fan or the life and death of Kobe Bryant. And then there was Nancy Lieberman's appearance. What a story she had to tell. And then there's Eli Manning, who's been on the podcast five times and counting. All I know is if you listen to Sports with Friends, you'll hear some great guests. You'll hear so many stories, and you'll feel like you know not only them, but me. Check out Sports with Friends wherever you can get your podcasts. And if you're listening to this one, I guarantee you, you'll find Sports with Friends right there. Well, I, you know, and it's funny because it, the, the, these stories are so fascinating and I knew we were going to go on tangents. Um, how did you get into wrestling in the first place? And now that I know th- it's almost like I'm doing this like Jupiter's legacy, like I'm seeing the backstory after I know the present. I know how you left wrestling. How did you get into wrestling in the first place? Yeah, well, like, hey, I watched it as a kid. I loved it. I loved the uh, stampede wrestling. And, and you were just uh, a, I, I, a giant and you said, I could totally do this. No, I was, I was just, you know, a tall skinny kid still. And I go, okay, I'm going to do this. So I started hitting weights and I started doing martial arts training, you know, cause my brother's friends were even picking on me at the time. And I, I did mm-hmm. mar- several years of martial arts, still watching the wrestling, you know? And um, when I, I was, I was still 17 or 18 at the time. And I, I drove from Saskatoon to Calgary, which was about an eight hour drive. And I went and met Stu Hart and I said, Hey, I want to be a wrestler, you know? And I, go back and forth and and he said okay kid you want to be a wrestler come by on the weekend and we'll see so i went down into the dungeon the the famous heart dungeon and got stretched you know by Stu hart and then Stu started training me and uh after that uh it evolved and and the wwf at the time came through and red bastine was the booker for the uh west coast and he met me and he goes, oh, my God, get your butt down to L.A. and wow. do some training with, you know, Mondo Guerrero from the famous Guerrero family, you know. So I ended up doing that. And then uh, the rest was history. You know, it's it, it's funny. Um, in, in my main career um, in the sports broadcasting business, and one of the things I noticed about the WWE now is they were one of the first things to come back after the COVID lockdown, 
wrestling figured a way how to make it a TV friendly product. And even though they couldn't have fans in the arena, they were able to gear it towards an audience. And what I noticed was when sports were trying to figure out how to do this, the NBA and the NHL are thinking about bubbles and WWE was on the next week. Like they were on and it was a testament to their dedication. You know, during the shutdown, there were companies and I'm not trying to pick on any company and whoever's listening to this, you know, we all had a struggle, but what I loved were companies that immediately were like, this is not going to beat us. Let's do it. You know, like the car company that says, well, nobody's driving cars, so let's stop making cars, but we can make ventilators. Let's do that. And everyone applauded them, you know? And I thought wrestling was able to provide original content when no one else could. And it was amazing. Yeah. They ended up doing that. And, you know, I've, I've seen some of it, you know, where they have the TV screens in the backgrounds and and type people in and and they have their quarantined wrestlers and, and that, which was, which was brilliant, you know, and, and uh, it's like uh, the show must go on. Yeah. You know, we, as professional wrestlers, we are entertainers, you know, I, I would hope. I mean, I, I would. <laughs> the show must go on. It's, it's a fascinating industry. But, uh, I, you know, the the uh, let's just dive in a little bit more on the Jupiter's legacy um, and the the idea that these are creator owned uh, properties, intellectual property. Um, there's a huge controversy going on in the comic book world about guys who were work for hire. Uh, for example, this guy, Ed Brubaker, I talked about this on a couple of episodes of the podcast. Ed Brubaker can, uh, created the Winter Soldier, but he's had a work for hire deal. And, uh, you know, he created it in 2002. And on a dime, 2002, you had just made X-Men. No one's thinking there would ever be a Winter Soldier movie, let alone a Disney Plus show. And so they never put it in his contract. He has no legal standing whatsoever, but Marvel made a billion dollars. And this guy's looking like he comes off looking like for a handout. And that's not right. And this, you know, Mark Millar and Frank Quitely created Jupiter's legacy, but they created it and they own the intellectual property. The deal to do it with Netflix was made by those guys. Those guys are executive producers. This is the time where to the victor goes the spoils to see these guys who created this stuff to see their, you know, in essence, child birthed onto a miniseries as high quality as Jupiter's legacy it is the answer to the question of why guys are doing independent comic books and why the utopian would never be Superman. Because if they created this storyline for Superman, they don't own it, but now they do. And you see the difference? Like it's such a remarkable thing for this industry, considering that television and streaming have dwarfed comic books. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's evolving. And that's the thing. It's like back in the day, who'd have thunk that that would be the progression, like you said. And now it's channeled a whole lot differently because like through my company, uh, Main Entertainment, I want to do a graphic novel um, oh, awesome. loosely based on a book that I've optioned called The Last Spartan. And um, that's what we're working on right now. Oh, so interesting. Yeah, it's basically if Sons of Anarchy meets The Punisher meets Human Trafficking. Okay. And it's going to be dark, deep, and it's going to be gritty. And um, 
the writer that we have coming on board is Christopher Priest. Oh, wow. Yeah. So we're right excited, excited about that, you know, and it's. Uh, oh, we're going to have to have you back with Christopher when you guys are ready to release this sucker. That's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's it's funny because, you know, we, we've been doing a lot of these chats like this. Um, zooming. Oh, I'm and, sure. I'm sure. And uh, it's just. Uh, he, he gets where we want to take it and it's fantastic. And I'm just so excited that that's going to be coming out soon. We're going to be putting it under a different name, but when we do, I will definitely let you oh, know and, totally. and we will be talking about that. Cause I've, yeah, well, I've always wanted to do a graphic novel like that to tell the story that way. The, the last comparison that I wanted to ask, and like I said, if, if I don't want to take up too much of your time. I could ask you about all these other roles that you've been in. Uh, there's been so many other things, but the, uh, the last thing that I noticed is, and this is not to knock Brian Singer or any of the people who worked on X-Men. What I noticed today is that the people who are creating the content, like Jupiter's Legacy, like the Avengers, like Star Wars, like anything that's going on, you can tell that those people are the fans that I was when I was growing up. That you can tell that these guys had an affinity for the content that they were creating. Whereas in 2000, I think people were lukewarm about superhero movies, that they weren't sure. And the decision to make the X-Men have all black costumes because they couldn't have colorful costumes. That's too kid-like. It seemed like it's not to knock those guys, but it seems like you can tell when a Jupiter's Legacy, the boys, uh, Umbrella Academy, Mandalorian, you could tell that these things are being made by fans. Do you notice? Well, so well believe me, Brian Singer is a fan. And uh, Tom DeSanto, who actually got that rolling, is a huge, huge, huge fan, you know? Um, Tom DeSanto's office was covered in toys and, and memorabilia. <laughs> really? But you've got to remember, back then, 20 years ago, if you would have had Wolverine running around in his yellow tights, I don't think people would have been ready for that. Right. They'd be like, oh, this, come on, this bullshit, this guy in yellow tights. Or, right. you know, so they had, they had some very fine lines that they had to follow. And they, they paved the way for us. And I think they did it very, very well so that it could evolve to where it is now. It's like I've been, you know, I was in the remake of the uh, Halloween. Halloween movies, yeah. Movie, you know, I'm not trying to change subjects. But no, no. you have you have the 1978 version and then you have the Rob Zombie version. It all evolves. It's right. the same way with the... the, the, the superhero uh, genre. Superhero genre. Right. you know, which is, which is fantastic. And, and um, those were decisions that, that probably the studios were involved in, you know, cause I knew they tried some mock-up costuming back then. And they're like, I don't think the they, public's they ready for that. that. <laughs> you know, they couldn't pull it off. Um, you worked with the great uh, Sir Ian McKellen. Yes. Uh, and you worked with uh, Patrick Stewart and there were so many, iconic actors you know that had those careers you were it was your first film was there a lot of i can't believe i'm doing a comic book movie during that was that was that part of the chatter around and you don't have to name names but just this idea that people are like oh my god how goofy can we get 
Well, no, you know, I mean, as an entertainer, you get involved in that role, you know, you, you want to do your very best. So, I mean, working with Ian and Patrick and them was, oh, it, it was so I fantastic. I can't imagine. Yeah. You know? And, and uh, Ian gave me some of the best acting advice. You know, he's like, less is more, my dear boy, less is more, <laughs> you know, and it's true. You know, and uh, and and the the other one he says he says uh, always check for boogers because on the big screen you got a big booger. <laughs> so, so that's some some sound some stage <laughs> acting advice that I've followed <laughs> in my career. Wow, how, how dramatic! <laughs> that's fantastic. Um, what can you tell us? Uh, season two, Jupiter's Legacy, is it coming back? What's what? Nothing's been officially announced. Can you give us some hope? You know, uh, fingers crossed. I'm not that far up the food chain on this one, okay. so I had to ask. Uh, yeah, you know, I mean, if, if I had my way, it would uh, definitely be back, and we'd see a whole hell of a lot more of Black Star. Because <laughs> yeah. I kind of want to see, I kind of want to know his backstory. You know how he became the product of the environment that he is. You know because he is a doctor, you right? Know, he, he's a William he's Henry Bendel. Yeah, yeah. So it, I'd, I'd like to explore that. So fingers crossed. The we'll best see. line, your best line in that show is when you're reading that book and you get interrupted, and all of a sudden you go, "This was just getting good." <laughs> I was just getting to the juicy part. <laughs> I thought that was great. And I love that you have the whole prosthetics and you're wearing bifocal glasses. Yeah. <laughs> for a head that's like seven. And then when, when the when the door opens towards the end, again, spoilers, when the door opens to the end, you take the glasses off. Like, wait a minute, don't you need those to see? Well, not to fight. <laughs> he takes the glasses off. Oh, those are my reading glasses. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was great. The, the The characterization is brilliant. There's so many great. Uh, Leslie Bibb is great. Ben Daniels, Matt Lanter is great. Uh, they're all great. I, I don't want to leave anybody yeah. out. Uh, the storyline is fantastic. See it through the end because a lot of the questions from episodes one and two are, I, I will say this, episode one is so action heavy. And yeah. I think it's a great way of hooking you in. And it, again, it's not it's not criticizing per se, but it's like four, five, and six are very, very story driven. And then it crescendos. And it really is an arc. And there's so much to it. You play Black Star and uh, you're like the ultimate supervillain. And these guys have so many issues. And you get to play them twice because your first guy dies. Yeah, right. <laughs> but it's early, so it's not really spoiling it too much. <laughs> Um, lastly, before we, we let you go, um, how do you feel as a, an actor with a brand and you're, you're working on products that you want promoted? How do you feel about social media and the toxic nature of social media? I've kind of gotten into a routine of asking that question towards the end because I want to give out how people can reach out to you, but I want to get your feelings on how much you embrace it or hate it. If you hate it, be honest. Yeah, no, I, I, I do embrace it. You know, I, and I know through the wrestling, not everybody's going to like what we're doing as actors. And that's the hardest part. We're human beings too, you know? And I think if people would try and treat the internet with more positivity, you know, <laughs> did that sound right? 
but uh, you know, the, you got a lot of the haters going on there and saying, oh, I didn't like this or I didn't like that. Well, you know, what I say to them is then go out and make your own movie, go out and make yeah. your own TV series and just see how hard it is, you know, before you want to start criticizing and judging, you know, if, if, Hey, there, I watch some shows that I don't like, but I don't sit there and go, Oh, that's, you know, it, it, it might not be for me. You know right. what I mean? Right. And, and, but I know, but I know as a producer and as an actor, what goes into it. And, and I mean, you, you're giving your heart out there and, and, the last thing you want to hear is people talking shit about or yeah bad. no no that's, that's fine that, that's fine it's a podcast we're not fcc regulated um the the idea of um doing it i mean full disclosure we had agreed to 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 set up the the recording of this podcast before i had seen the show i knew the the product but i hadn't seen it and I was going to be honest, no matter what, like I wasn't promising just because we were talking to you. If, if I thought it was awful, I would have said so. It's effing great. And it, it really is. And you can tell that there's so much attention to detail. And like I said, you can be a, a fan of, of the heroes. You can be a fan of the villains. There's some play both sides. It, it, it really is. It's really deep. And I don't think we've even told you anything about the actual story watch this show and and let it speak for itself let the work speak for itself which is something they don't say all the time in, the, in this social media world yeah like i mean for me when i go into watching a new show i try and find the good of it you know i go in to enjoy it instead of pick it apart so and and this is this is one hell of a ride you know oh yeah it is a great great show and I'm, I'm i watched it in three days i saw it in th literally three days and that's with a job <laughs> it would have been less if i didn't have a job or a family <laughs> right <laughs> but it was great to justify to the kids i was like you know because they were a little young for this and i just said yeah daddy has to watch this show i have to it's a work project i love yeah, saying research. that research, research. research. <laughs> just like you in the comic books i i totally exactly get it. Uh, how can people find you online, sir? Uh, I am at the Real Main uh, on uh, Instagram, Tyler Main on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, the, yeah, the Real Tyler Main at, on Instagram, and uh, yeah, just follow along and, and enjoy the ride because I put uh, some crazy stuff up, you know. I'm sure you do. Well, <laughs> and I and I always end with the caveat of. Uh, if there's anything in this episode that you heard that you have an issue with or a question that you have, do me a favor, reach out to Tyler Main directly and leave me the help. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Tyler, thank you so much. Congratulations on Jupiter's legacy. And seriously, you have an open invite to come back when you have the, the no graphic novel that you're working on or anything else that you want to promote. Uh, you have an open, open door here on the Hall of Justice podcast. Very cool. Thank you, sir, for having me. I appreciate it. That is Tyler Main. Thank you for listening. Thank you for the subscriptions, uh, the ratings, the reviews. That's how iTunes markets podcasts. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about the show Black Lightning, which just had uh, its ending. Uh, we appreciate all the folks who listen. Go check out Jupiter's Legacy. It's on Netflix. Come on, who doesn't? Who listens to this podcast that doesn't have Netflix? Not at this point. We could say that about some of the obscure apps, not, not this one. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. Oh, no.